Hello, Katwanto. Here comes the Tangata Otimoana from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up. The West Water will reach across the entire Pacific Ocean within one year. A Hiroshima survivor backs a call for Japan to halt its plan to dump nuclear wastewater into the Pacific. Also, the demography of our voter registration here, almost 45% of registered voters in the age of 18 to 40 years. We take a closer look at potential reasons for a record low voter turnout in Fiji. And later on... Pacifica songs and an orchestra. A collab brought to life just in time for the festive season. Japan refutes claims that the planned discharge of treated radioactive waste from Fukushima Daiichi into the Pacific Ocean over decades is unsafe. It follows calls made by the Pacific Alliance for the New Zealand government to take Japan to court. As Lydia Lewis reports, Alliance members, including academics, legal experts, NGOs and activists from Japan and across the Pacific, condemn the plans. Hiroshima survivor Hibakusha Toshiko Tanaka has joined the call. The wastewater will reach across the entire Pacific Ocean within one year, and we share one water on the earth, so what leaks from Japan will reach everywhere. So we have to think about the earth as itself, and we can't do things for the benefit or interest of one country. Otago University researcher Dr. Carly Birch says people may be surprised to learn the Japanese government has approved Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, discharging more than 1.3 million tonnes of treated radioactive wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. The statement is really pointing out that there has been a lack of rigorous scientific assessment and a lack of sufficient data to back up claims on the purported safety of the radioactive wastewater discharge. Japan has not adequately considered other possible on-land storage methods, despite evidence from predictive models that radioactive particles released into the ocean will spread to the northern Pacific. Hibaku Shantanaka flew to New Zealand with her daughter to speak at the Nuclear Connections Across Oceania conference, where the call to halt the wastewater discharge was drafted. I think it's very bad and it's got to stop. And firstly, what is the ones that had an accident has to be dealt but somehow, but all the other ones has to stop now as well. And all the um, wastewater has to be kept in on land and not be released to the ocean. And I don't know about the scientific things, but there is ways that can be kept on land. And, but in order to keep them, firstly, the leaking has to stop and we have to prevent more from happening. So all the nuclear power plant has to stop now to not happen again. Nuclear issues are important to Hibakusha Tanaka. On August 6, 1945, when she was walking to school, her whole class was killed. She was only six years old. Her hair and skin and clothes were burnt. She says she cried her way home. Her mother could not recognise her. Because of the radiation, I've had lots of different rumps around my mouth and I had a swelling in my throat and I was often fainting in my childhood. So 
I do feel like my childhood was taken from me. Now 84 years old, Hibakusha Tanaka says she has only just started sharing her story because it was too traumatizing. Please make many friends from other countries. When you do so, you are moving the world toward peace. <laughs> Something she says is needed now more than ever in light of the war in Ukraine. There's problems with the lack of data and rigorous assessment and the problem that we're not able to question these threshold limits, but there's a bigger question about whether science should be used as an excuse to perpetuate nuclear colonialism. And so in the statement, we explain how if we understand nuclear colonialism to be the targeting of indigenous peoples, their lands and waters to maintain nuclear production processes, um, such as processes needed to maintain um, a nuclear power plant, such as Fukushima Daiichi, um, then TEPCO and the Japanese government's plans to discharge radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean against the will of Pacific peoples is an act of nuclear colonialism. Pacific Conference of Churches spokesperson Betty Radule is from the Marshall Islands and Pompeii in the Federated States of Micronesia. She's now based in Fiji and was at the same conference. She backs the call. We're just seeing the ocean becoming the new frontier for colonialism. And people are trying to use it for their own benefit. TEPCO says its treatment process called ALPS renders the water safe for discharge. Deputy Head of Mission at the Embassy of Japan in Wellington, Nishioka Tatsushi, backs TEPCO. The water to be discharged to the ocean is not the contaminated water or nuclear waste, but it is treated water. And treated water is not contaminated water because that is the water from which the most of the radioactive material has been removed. The executive director of the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission, Ramos Christian, is the former chair of the Marshall Islands Nuclear Commission. She says she remains deeply concerned by Japan's proposal. I wish that the Japanese government would take some more time before its release. There are a number of outstanding questions that have yet to be fully answered. They have focused a lot on one particular radionuclide and not very much on others that are also present in the wastewater. Mr. Tatsushi says nuclear power plants all over the world are currently discharging water with tritium because it's safe to do so. I mean, I guess I would respond to Japan and say we are against any nuclear waste dumping. That was Biri Radule. Mr. Tatsushi says he hears the concerns, but Japan is trying to move forward in what it believes to be the safest way. Following the 2011 earthquake, the worst tragedy in Japan after the end of World War II. This is a conclusion that we reached after six years of very careful discussion, mobilizing the highest level of wisdom and science available. If the method we are going to take are not good enough, then what is the alternative? The resounding answer from the Pacific Alliance is clear. They want it stored on land. For Ramos Christian, releasing the waste into the ocean is just not an option. It's a real concern and I just wish they would take a bit more time to think more carefully about this. If there's no, you know, find a way to delay. I understand that there are some urgencies because of the logistics and the storage of this wastewater. But this is a massive release and a big big potential uh, disaster if it's not handled properly.
But Japan is a really important partner in this region, and consultation is not new for Japan in, in the region's island countries. And so, you know, if we could just continue on that and um, not make any hasty decisions, I think that would really go a long way, not just for the partnership, but for also protecting our fisheries. The Pacific Alliance remains firm on its call for the New Zealand government to stay true to its commitment to a nuclear-free Pacific by taking a case to the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea against the plans. Hibaku Shatanaka has signed the alliance's call and has a message to leaders across the region. Please make many friends from other countries. When you do so, you are moving the world toward peace. Thank <laughs> The New Zealand government says it will not be taking Japan to court over the matter. The Fiji military force commander has rejected a request to intervene in the dispute of the integrity of the election process following a request made by opposition party leaders. Speaking to RNZ Pacific, Commander Major General Johnny Kaluniwai said the RFMF as an institution will put its trust in the electoral process. The statement comes after a group of opposition party leaders in Fiji called for a halt to vote counting on Thursday and demanded an audit of the country's electoral system. This is a developing story. For the latest, please go to our website, rnzi.com. Now, initial statistics showing a little over 50% of Fijians turning up to cast their vote have taken political commentators by surprise. This is especially given conditions for voting were optimal on Wednesday, with good weather, free transport provided, and a multitude of polling station venues. Our reporter, Rachel Nath, spoke to economist and director of the Fiji Higher Education Commission, Dr. Rohit Kishore, about the possible reasons for low numbers at the polls and what needs to be done to shift this trend. Could you start by talking about your views on the voter turnout for the 2022 general elections? We are kind of kind of really searching, if you like, and it's early days to really get get down to the statistics and see which area. I mean, we're suspecting that's a low voter turnout in, in the younger generation. And then, you know, if you look at the, the demography of our voter registration here, is we have about... Uh, Almost 45% of a voter, voter, you know, registered voters in the age of 18 to 40 years. And then we haven't got, as I said, we've not been able to make uh, the assessment and analysis right now. We will do that later. But we're suspecting that that's where the voter, the lower voter turn up being, the younger side. And what we saw at the polling stations, the, the mature voters were, were there, they were training, they, they turned up, they turned up and they voted. It is the younger generation that we're saying that didn't turn up. Yeah, why do you think there's a disconnect? Um, do the young, do you feel that the younger generation perhaps d- doesn't fully understand um, the importance of exercising the democratic right? Maybe, but, but they do, they do, because I must say, a lot of people are saying that the uh, you know, awareness campaign, but I must give it to, to Fiji elections office. I mean, they've been very busy from first, from first of April. First of April was that's when the announcement came that, you know, you could start officially start campaigning. So from, you know, the, the election was announced later, uh, but from first of April, you could, uh, parties could start campaigning and the parties started campaigning. So when you, when you start, when, the, when all the parties started campaigning, that, that is, that is, 
education really for the voters, isn't it? Because they go out and they talk to people and then they, they you know, everybody's campaigning to vote for them. And then what they're saying that you must go to vote. So they've been, been saying that. And then I really didn't know, I don't know still why the, the voters didn't turn up. So it's around about 52%. And we were hoping, I personally was hoping if you look at 2014 and 18, 14 was down around about 60, 70%. And then the 74% was last time, 2018. And we were hoping to better that, better that this time, but it's gone back. So mm. we really have to do the diagnostics and then and, and find out, you know, what, what what really went wrong that the, the voters didn't turn up as, as yes. expected. As expected. And you're right. I mean, our journalists on the field did notice and, and reported saying that there were a lot of older or matured demographics yes. that were out at the polling station. And I think, I mean, it could be just an analysis to say here that these are the generations that have been voting for a while now. They understand yes, and they've been coming in from the 2000s, um, in 87s onward to 2000s, they've been voting since then, and that, that's why yes, they indeed. turn up and they make their vote count. Um, is is that what maybe the focus kind of needs to be uh, emphasized now going forward into th the next four years, is that getting that same kind of interest sparked within the younger generation? Yes, and, and if, if you like, if you want to, want to cue, I mean, if you look at the, the, the rallies, the, all of, all the parties been doing, and then if you look at the rallies, and then you look, look at the the demographic of the voters who are who were attending the rallies, and still, I mean, I didn't see now 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 we saying that you know that time we didn't realize that, but now because the low low voter turn up, particularly the younger side, I mean, now now it sort of you know make makes sense. It's to sort of coincides that uh, the rallies were largely attended by mature people and then you know people the younger ones were not there all the time and uh, were they in less less numbers mm. so so probably it sort of you know feeds in feeds into the the voter tenor i mean that seems to be quite a correlation i mean you know we can do a all this we can do a good good, good research and really went wrong and why is it like that but yeah. i think you know, awareness campaign was there by Fiji Elections Office and also the parties campaigning. So I don't think, you know, we can say much there. But I think these people, the young people, the way they are, I mean, you know, they're big lackluster and, you know, they think, oh, okay, everything's hunky-dory, is happening for them. And they take it easy, I guess. So that's mm -hmm. what they did. They took it easy. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you think we can approach this as a nation? Like, what could Fiji do? Schools and universities look at perhaps um, having more awareness around the importance of exercising, uh, of voting. Yeah, I think, I think this, this sort of, again, you know, I'm expanding a little bit here and diverting maybe. But if you look at the leadership, I mean, you know, it's all about leadership, isn't it? And, and part of leadership is, is, is all this voting and democratic right and the rest of it. Our leadership side, this is one of the things that's in the higher education, you know, from, from where I sit as a director of the Higher Fiji Higher Education Commission, we're trying to build our leadership and we're trying to come up with specialist programs and courses in universities to really, you know, teach leadership 
and then you know leadership management and, and the rest of it so that's where probably it can sit it can sit like a curriculum there that you know part of leadership is that you must go and exercise your democratic right and and voting is the essential part of it so yes most definitely i think we will look into that Pacifica Songs with orchestral music has been brought to life just in time for the Christmas season. The Mana Moana project is a groundbreaking partnership between the renowned Signature Choir, Pacifica Communities and the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. For the first time, specially selected Pacifica songs were performed by the group live and in recordings. Susana Soizuiki attended the Mana Moana concert and had the story. One woman's vision to fuse Pacifica songs with orchestral music has been brought to life just in time for the festive season. The Manamoana project is a unique partnership between Wellington-based Signature Choir and the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, a first-ever collaboration. Signature Choir's music director, Helen Tupai, says the visionary partnership was about sharing Pacifica stories and music with a broader audience. Our songs and our stories are heard only in our communities, and I think it was a way to share our music to another audience that has never listened to our music and I think we are because we appreciate all types of music so um, it was more that um, so that we towards appreciate the beauty of each art. Having worked with Helen before New Zealand Symphony Orchestra's Director of Artistic Programming Kirsten Mason says she has a deep respect for her as a musician. Since becoming part of Mana Moana Kirsten says she's fallen in love with Pacifica songs. These songs have a way of communicating um, the mood and the emotion and, and they make people cry um, even if they don't speak the language and, and people can understand what songs are about. After months of rehearsals and having to overcome hurdles like postponements from the Omicron outbreak, the Mana Moana project finally delivered its big concert early in December to a sold-out crowd at Wellington's Michael Fowler Centre. Pacifica songs from Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Tokelau, Cook Islands and Niue filled the venue, bringing audiences from all backgrounds to tears. For concert goer Isira Tanawai, he says the concert felt magical and hearing the familiar Samoan melodies still brought back nostalgic memories. I got a bit emotional because uh, it was a nice traditional Samoan piece. Sticking with my parents, um, just lovely to hear our traditional songs backed by a professional orchestra, so that was, that was a re- uh, really beautiful touch. Songs from the Mana Moana project will soon be made available to listen to on streaming platforms made possible through RNZ Concert. Two Pacifica government ministers are among six New Zealand MPs retiring at the 2023 election. Ministers Porto Williams and Alpito Williamsio are on the retiree list. Lydia Lewis spoke with one of the ministers, Alpito Williamsio, and filed this report. After more than a decade in Parliament, Minister for Pacific Peoples and Minister for Courts, Alpito William Sio, is bowing out. I've dedicated that time advocating for Pacific communities. I've left everything on the field. And, and I think it's my time. I've got young Pacific MPs in my caucus that are rearing to go, and I've got every confidence in them. The minister says the decision to retire was his. I made that decision. It's 15 years in Member of Parliament, also seven years in local government. That's 22 years in public life. 
He has been an MP for the Mangere electorate since 2008. Before that, he served in local government and was the first elected official of Pacific descent to hold a mayoral office in Auckland. He says being a politician is all-consuming, relentless. He sacrificed family time. And I've got other responsibilities as a matai of a very strong, extended family across the region. So I've got to pay attention to that side of my life. And I've got other challenges that I want to get stuck into. The chiefly title of Alpito was bequeathed upon him in 2016 by his father, Alpito Senior. Look, he's just a, a very proud traditional Samoan who believes in the aspirations of being independent, who is very proud of his tradition and proud. Of Samoa becoming the first independent nation in the Pacific region, and he's also was the chairperson of the second um, Catholic uh, Samoan-speaking parish in Otara back in the 70s. These are the people who dealt with uh, the injustices of the Dawn Raid, and I was a young person that sat on the floor serving him and the elders who were supporting. Uh, uh, family members who were being deported or who were in prison during, you know, those fateful dawn raid period. One of the greatest stain on Pacific peoples of Aotearoa, New Zealand, and and so it was always about hard work. It was always serving your community. That's what he instilled in me. But it was actually my late mother who was my staunchest supporter as a politician. <laughs> she encouraged and supported me, and she instilled in me whatever thou art, act while thy part. And I've tried to live um, by those values that both my parents have instilled in me. Alpito will not stand for the Mangere electorate come next year. But the work is not over just yet. He has a long to-do list to tick off in 2023 already. So budget 2023 is an absolute, and and yes, we've got the commitments that we've made during the dawn raids, which includes、um, matters around immigration. So we're working on that, and then of course I'm hosting、uh, the Pacific Education Ministers meeting next year, early next year in March. And, and of course, I've got to launch the、uh, Dawn Raids Vakau stories, where we start collecting stories from families from the Dawn Raids period. And then, of course, I've got the second summit of the Pacific Aotearoa Lalanga Fall Goals, where we will look back、uh, to the first Wellbeing Budget、um, and reflect on what we have done,、um, the investment that we've made, and the impact, and then review. What more can we do in lifting Pacific well-being?、Um, of course, I've got—it's、uh, uh, not just Pacific. I'm also the Minister of Courts, so I've got the coronial reform that I've got to oversee, and making sure that we're lining those things up, making sure that we're continuing our support to Te Ao Marama, that is、uh, judiciary-led in our court system to improve access to our court system. So you know, I think I can complete all that、uh, next year. Alpito says he has confidence in the next generation of Pacifica leaders to stand up when he steps down. Conservation Minister and Disability Issues Minister Porto Williams, who has served for almost a decade, is also bowing out of politics next year. 
ANZ Pacific is seeking a full interview with Minister Poto, reflecting on her political career. Christmas has come a little early this year for hundreds of families on remote island atolls across Micronesia. Helping Santa out was a U.S.-led multinational mission to deliver Christmas presents and humanitarian goods to 57 remote islands in the northern Pacific. The annual Goodwill mission is codenamed Operation Christmas Drop, and this year it involved the air forces of the United States, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, South Korea and India. RNZ Pacific reporter Vino Funua has the story. In December 1952, an American B-29 Super Fortress aircraft was flying over the northern Pacific en route to Guam when the aircrew on board saw villages on the small atoll of Kapinga Morangi waving at them. Moved by the spirit of Christmas, one of the crew members grabbed a toy and threw it out of the aircraft. This would be the beginning of Operation Christmas Drop, an annual goodwill mission to deliver goods and presents to remote islands in Micronesia. One of the pilots participating in the operation, U.S. Hercules aircraft captain Jen Brenton, said that this mission was special. We pick a point of impact, we drop the bundle, and that is when you see the islanders come out of the trees or they come out on their boats and they can recover the bundle. And it is the most incredible moment when you see them. They are so excited. They're waving. The little kids are jumping around. And it is truly one of the most spectacular feelings I've ever had in my life. The U.S.-led multinational mission operates out of Anderson Air Force Base in Guam. And it includes the participation of six countries, including the United States, New Zealand, Australia, India, South Korea, and Japan. This year's mission delivered 200 boxes filled with humanitarian goods and Christmas gifts to 20,000 people across 57 islands in Palau, the Marshall Islands, and the Federated States of Micronesia. It takes hours for the aircrafts to reach the islands, and Flight Lieutenant Michael Louise Paget of the Royal New Zealand Air Force says, with many of the atolls being small, thin strips of land, the airdrop requires special maneuvering. It's called low-coast, low-altitude airdrop, where we we fly the airplane on a specific track uh, along the outside of the island, so we tend to try and airdrop the bundles just into the shallow lagoon by the beach and we come in quite low so that we're able to drop it quite ac- well, accurately in the lagoon and then they've all got parachutes on them so our loadmasters down the back will essentially cut them when we give them the green light and push them out the back. For the recipients of the bundles, it's equally meaningful. The remote islands are underdeveloped and small, with some having a land area of no more than a few square kilometers. Richard Clark, press secretary of the government of the Federated States of Micronesia, said the remote communities rarely receive visitors, making the airdrops extra special. Is there any better example of cooperation than to coordinate multiple governments across dozens of islands for that explicit and singular purpose of making Christmas absolutely amazing? Or is there any better example of love in our common humanity than to appreciate that at its core, Operation Christmas Drop began its life as a nice thing to do? Flight Lieutenant Michael Louise Paget shared Clark's sentiment. You can see them after you've dropped them coming out to collect them. And you just know that you've reached people that are so isolated and don't 
get our everyday supplies that we can just go down to the supermarket and get and the the feeling that you are just able to help these people with what we wouldn't even regard as anything major and to them it means so much. The initiative has even inspired the making of a Netflix movie called Operation Christmas Drop. That's Tangata Ote Moana for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Farfitak Tilly Lava, Monuya Lepo.